Welcome to the Guna Ramble, a Guna's World podcast. No gimmicks, no satire, just a little bit Arsenal. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to the Guna Ramble podcast. First things first, I'm going to play you a little clip, and I want you to let us know on Twitter what movie it's from, and the winner wins a prize. Because I'm not fucking laughing, Nicholas. So there you go, let us know what movie that is from. And we are not fucking laughing, Nicholas. But before we get on to the matter of that, let's uh, introduce you to our guests. I asked them this question before we started the podcast, and they uh, think they've got it nice and easy, but I'm throwing them a curveball. So, Callum, who are you? Give me an Arsenal legend whose name, whose surname begins with the second letter of your first name. Fucking hell. <laughs> uh, Andrew Arshavin. Lovely. Actually, I should say that after his comments today, should I? Yeah, that's very true. Treacherous little shit. And Judd, um, you obviously got a bit of advance warning, so I hope you thought about it. Because I'm going to change it. Give me uh-huh. an <laughs> Arsenal legend whose surname begins with the second from last letter of your surname. Uh, I see you. Jens Lehmann. Nice. <laughs> he had that before. It was the same one. Different letter. <laughs> oh, dear me. So we've got Andre Arshavin and Jens Lehmann at the club. Um, welcome. So, uh, first topic then, uh, Jens and Andre. We'll talk about uh, good things. We'll talk about Crystal Palace. Um, showed a lot of character. Callum, what did you make of the game? I uh, I was satisfied with it. I think... Um, there was a lot of, I think after the Dortmund game, people wanted a, a 5-6-0 win. But um, there was uh, the way uh, Palace played, you know, they, it's funny, when a manager sacked or leaves the club, you, you're never really sure which way it was going to go. And, um, you know, the uh, I forgot the, the, the caretaker manager's name, but he made a fair few changes. I think he riled the players up. And, um, you know, for, the, for a large part of the game, they looked, um, they looked to, the, to be matching us. I mean, they had little to no attacking threat. Um, especially the first 20 minutes, because they were just put in their midfield four within a few yards of their, their back four, and there was just no space for the, our attacking players to get in. Um, and, I, you know, I'd admit I was getting a little bit worried as they begin to create a few chances and stuff. But, you know, so throughout the years, we've heard how Manchester United can win ugly as such. And we've played well enough times uh, this season to, you know, not be worried about an off performance. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we kept them at arm's reach, um, you know, we we're, were perhaps lucky that Chesney was in good form that day. But, you know, a win is a win. And um, I think it was a really important win with uh, Liverpool and United coming up. And, you know, if we had dropped points in that game, I mean, there's already a huge amount of pressure going into these two big league games. But if we dropped points in that one, it would have been, you know, the pressure would have been amped up even more. So, 2-0 uh, win. I was I was very satisfied by the end. Good stuff. And how about you, Crazy Jens? Uh, my thoughts are very similar. You know, it's... It's nice to win comfortably because it gives you a little bit more confidence going going forward. But a win is a win at the end of the day. That's all that anybody remembers. You know, come January, those three points are going to count the same if we won two nothing, one nothing, or seven nothing, and exactly. it's not going to have any more impact on the season beyond that at that at that time. So I'm just happy to get through the weekend with the three points and move on to Liverpool. 
Okay, yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, I, I was expecting more um, from the game. I, th- I thought we'd perform better, but it was, um, you know, not, not quite the fluency that we've been um, seeing with the Arsenal in the first half. But second half, you know, we, we did turn, turn, the, turn it on a little bit and we, we got the penalty really early on, which I thought was really, really beneficial for us in terms of not getting that nervous feeling of not picking up maximum points. It's what we've come to expect. And I you know, I was getting a bit nervous about how, um, you know, potentially open would leave ourselves if we're chasing that and desperate to get the three points. But credit to Nabry. I, I pronounce it Nabry because... Nab- Nabry's right, I think. I like Nabry. Sounds yeah, like Gnabry, that's my, isn't it? That's my guess, exactly. Gnabry, just, you know, intuitively, I just don't think that's right. And uh, once I um, I met an African guy and his surname was spelled M-B-E-W-E and I guessed a silent M. So I've got a great track record of this sort of thing. So that's my claim to fame. <laughs> one for one. <laughs> Theory, exactly. I actually did message Na- uh, Serge on uh, Twitter to find out how he pronounces it and I even spelt it phonetically, but he didn't get back to me. So uh, <laughs> someone please hey, find maybe, out. Maybe, maybe he doesn't know himself. Maybe he's taking some time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe all the commentators and the fans have confused him. But in any case, I think uh, Serge Nabry did very, very well for the penalty and so far this season whenever he's come on he really has made a big difference it's just exciting uh, isn't he and I think um, we've got you know when our attack you know when we play Wilshire on the right or you know basically three attacking midfielders rather than one and two wingers you know it's worked some days like it did against Napoli and other days it hasn't as we saw against West Brom was one case where it definitely didn't work Um, so it's nice just to have Nabry on who I mean he plays with confidence because he's had a great start to his Premier League career he's very direct um and, you know, I mean, he won us the penalty. And I think it was, to be fair, you have to give credit to, uh, I think, to Wenger as well. Because when Flamini came off after six minutes, he had Wilshire on the bench. He had Rosicki. Yeah. Um, but instead, he decided to bring Nabry on and move Ramsey into the middle, which ended up being a very good call. Because I think Nabry was probably, if not our best player, one of our best players. Especially on a day where Ramsey, Giroud and Ertzel didn't have their best days. So, yeah, he, yeah. I was very impressed with Nabry. I agree. I think that's a really good point. You know, he, Wenger did make that substitution when he had more kind of experienced um, embedded players on the bench. So, you know, credit to him for that. Um, when Nabry had his first appearance of the season, I remember him coming on. I was at the ground and I was telling, talking to the lads around me saying that, you know, this guy's got a trick in him. He's got good pace. And just against Stoke, was it, yeah? I think it was, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. Theo got over when Theo did himself in the warm-up, didn't he? All oh, right, OK. And... Um, and yeah, I, I was kind of left disappointed uh, by his performance in that game. And he played very well, or very within himself. He was very, very cagey. But you know, you have to look at it and say, well, he he really, it was, it was, he did it right. He made sure he had a solid first game, no mistakes, no errors. Got yeah. used to playing first team football, and since then, you know, that turn to win the penalty in the box. Someone that isn't confident will just whip that in and rid themselves of too much responsibility. I think when you have the ball at your feet, the longer you have it, you know, you, you are taking responsibility. You're being seen. You're taking control of the situation. You're holding on to the ball. You're the main man. Spotlight's on you. And some people don't like that. I think a prime example of that is Marin Shamak. You know, he, he doesn't really like getting um, in the mix of things and he, he doesn't have that composure on the ball. And, um, you know, it was, it was nice to see she hasn't. Serge Nabry um, take the time pull out, pull out that turn and you know ultimately wins you the penalty so good feet in the area and it was very very important had the game gone on any longer you know it could have been a bit cagey so I was very happy with that I think as um, well um, you have to remember that when Nabry came in for that Stoke game he only found out I think about 20 minutes before the match that he was coming on 
Um, and obviously, again, you know, Stoke aren't, aren't no Muppets, especially against Arsenal. So, yeah, and as you I mean, I remember the Swansea game when he scored and he had that great uh, bit of skill when you laid on Giroud. And he just seems to be getting better every game. And I think if, even though we've had some terrible injuries and, and we're lacking some width, um, it'd be good if Nabry goes on to have a good season and, and becomes a big player for us because, that, you know, it's one of the, you know, obviously we'd rather not have Oxlade Chamberlain and Podolski and Walcott injured, but on the flip side of that, at least we've, we've got another young player who can give us something else on the wing. Definitely. Um, Judd, red card, yes or no? Uh, it's a tough one. For me, I mean, that far out, I mean, is it a clear goal scoring opportunity? I don't think so. And was the contact initiated by Arteta? Probably not. So it's very harsh, but having been in a refereeing situation myself, it it's a tough call to make when you're out there on the field. It looks a lot different than it does on TV. And I can understand where, you know, he just sees the last defender take down the attacker. So you can understand why he made the call, but, man, it was pretty harsh. I'm going to have to say it wasn't a red. Okay, good stuff. And um, do you think there's an argument to be put forward uh, that FIFA need to change the guidelines for if, uh, you know, the whole goal-scoring opportunity, it should have a disclaimer on there and say, if it's Nicholas Bentner or Marouane Chamath. <laughs> well, uh, is it ever really there's no such thing as a clear goal-scoring opportunity, exactly, then, is there? Exactly. <laughs> um, I think... Um, uh, my reaction to it originally was it was never a red, and then it was oh it probably was a red, and it's when you see that angle behind the two that you see Shamak barging yeah. in, and I think it's one of those where you know as uh, Leo said, you know you can see why he's given it because from when I first saw it, you could I mean it was contact. The reason I originally didn't think it was a red was because it was so far out, but um, and also if it was at like the Emirates, would it have been given? Probably not. I don't think it would have been. Um, and also with the with the goals, you know, a lot of people always think it's it's if you're the last man, it's an automatic red, but that isn't in the rules anywhere, as far as I know. It is it is just if it's a clear goal scoring opportunity, and obviously there's a big grey area, as you say, about what constitutes a goal scoring opportunity. But yeah. my opinion of it is, it well, my opinion is that it it wasn't that far out. It's it's tough to say that it was definitely because you know a lot can happen at that point. You can make you know miscontrol the ball, and you know he's got four or five touches till he gets the goal probably. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, and you know so. Uh, but, but the most important thing was, I think, was that Shamak um, initiated contact, and uh, exactly. unfortunately, it looked like Arteta brought him down. But really, I think it was six of one, half a dozen of the others. But both well, when you see the, the play from behind, Arteta made no challenge. Yeah, exactly. Yes, well, that's the clearest all. angle. Yeah. Yeah. He, they I just, they just ran you, together, and Shamak went down pretty easily. I think both of you have really hit the nail on the head. There, it was about who actually initiated contact. There was a coming together, a tangle of legs, and they both went over. But when you see actually who went into who, you're yeah. both right. You know, it was actually Shamak going into Arteta. And I think that was on the back of a touch that wasn't perfect. The touch went um, not actually towards goal, went kind of straight or maybe even slightly to the right. Wasn't really in his feet. And I think he would have been pushed down the channel. So after taking that touch, he's initiated the contact and it's worked out perfectly. So I don't think Arteta would have made the tackle with him. I mean... You know, Shamak, he's yeah. got another 40 yards to goal. Exactly. If, if Arteta is probably thinking, if I can just get, you know, because he's, he's not going to, I mean, if he goes and scores a goal from 25 yards out, then you say fair play, but yeah. the chances of that happening were virtually none. I think Arteta wanted to just hold him down the channels, but, you know, Shamak's forced to contact, and unfortunately, but I mean, it was a red, but I mean, I mean it's a shame that he missed the Chelsea game, but he'll be back for the weekend, so it's exactly. not, if it had been a three game ban, I would have been fuming, but yeah. uh, just the one. 
Now, yeah, the timing you, was good. Yeah. Can you guys just remind me, if you don't mind, um, who did I say would first a goal? Who would I? Who did I say would score the first goal? Well, I wasn't here last week, so I have literally no idea. I don't well, recall. <laughs> I think I said Arteta. I think I said it may be a penalty. So uh, well, well done yeah. then. You just wanted to say pat on the back. <laughs> I did say four one. Three so. gold stars. Yeah. Not all right, but um, all right. Let's let's say uh, ha- happy all round then with the Palace result. We ground out the result. That's all that matters. So we'll go from one world class striker to another, and uh, the Chelsea game. Can you guess which world class striker I'm talking about? Uh, Nicholas Bentner. There's only one of the pits, so it has to be <laughs> exactly. So uh, you said his name, Leo. Go for it. What did you make of his performance? Uh, well, you know, as much as we like to criticise Giroud, um, I don't. I think it's becoming clear <laughs> that he is certainly the better of the two. <laughs> uh, he failed to impress, that's for sure. And I think part of it was, you know, we did struggle at times to get any possession going forward at all in the first half. You know, I think for the first 15 minutes, Chelsea probably saw the ball for about 12 of it, it seemed like, at least. But, um, yeah, overall, I was not impressed. And it's a worry going forward for the rest of the year since that leaves us with really only one option, you know, up front. So, yeah, oh, man. Yeah, I was not happy. You'd imagine uh, Podolski would get the nod ahead of him at, uh, once he's back from injury, yeah, which I'm never really sure when that is, actually, but hopefully not too long away. But um, I think with – I didn't actually see the whole game, so I can't – not in the best place to comment. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, he's coming in, he's playing against two very accomplished centre-halves, and he, he's played very little football, so... True. I mean, uh, I, I heard accusations that he wasn't running an awful lot and wasn't chasing it down, but I think what it really does is highlights how much Giroud does for us, because often he's given a stereotype as a you know a target man, so he can hold the ball up and he can head the ball well. And yes, he does do these things so well, but what Giroud also does is his build-up play with the players behind him is incredible. So he's able to, whilst he's able to hold off and keep the centre-halves busy for the match... His movement will always keep them, you know, keep them guessing. And also, with when you've got, he's always that focal point in the attack to keep us some shape that the, the you know, the, the wingers and the the number tens can can work around him. Um, and I think when you when you see someone like Ben, who is he is a target man, really. He's not he's not half the player Giroud is. Um, I think you realise how big a part of our play, you know, how important Giroud is to how we play. Um, and I think you know it's. I don't know how many times I've heard it since September or summer that we, you know, we're, we're in big trouble if Giroud gets injured. Yeah. Um, but it's true. Um, but, I, I, I mean, you'd like to think that Giroud will be okay in that point or at least until Podolsi comes back in which he can do something. But uh, I hope so. I hope so. But I do think that yesterday um, all of our flaws were, were put on display. And when I say all of our flaws, I'm talking about certain positions on the, on the pitch where yeah. our cover is just not up to scratch. It's my opinion. I'll put it forward and, and tell me whether you agree. If Giroud gets injured, we I, I really, really think our season is under great, great threat if we have to stick with Bentner up front. Also, our second choice right back, uh, Carl Jenkinson. You know, I, I don't like criticising the boy because he plays with bags of heart. Um, apparently, he's a, he's a gooner through and through. He really does fight for the club. But unfortunately, and I do say this with a heavy heart, I, I don't want to criticise the guy, but I just don't see him ever getting to the, the standard that we need to, to be a first choice at Arsenal. Um, Leo, what do you think? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, another thing you got to remember is he is still pretty young, but twenty-one, I think. Yeah, and we've gotten into the habit of thinking that twenty-one's old in the football world, but you know, most places those are the years that guys are just starting to, you know, cut their teeth in the first team. They haven't been playing for three years there already. Um, but at Arsenal, that doesn't—that's not always the case. A lot of guys are coming up a lot younger than that. So, I don't want to. I don't want to write him off right now, but you're not seeing the signs that you would hope to see from a player his age if he's going to ever progress to that level. Um, you know, maybe he's a late bloomer. Maybe, you know, 23, 24 so. is when he hits his peak, but, you know, I, th- I think it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough to see how he's going to really establish himself as, you know, a world-class right back or even a top-tier Premier League right back. I hope you're right. I hope he does. Uh, he is a late bloomer. But the way I look at it, if um, if you could buy shares in Carl Jenkinson, would you buy them shares? Do you I would. No. Them? Yeah, I would. The, you would, Callum. Yeah. No, I, the, of, of, of the all the fallout that's come out of the Chelsea game, the one that's really annoyed me the most is, is what um, has been said about Carl Jenkinson. I think there is a legitimate debate about how good he is at the moment. And I think he did, you know, from what I saw and what I heard, he didn't play very well at all, which I think is completely fair enough. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, you make the point about his age being 21, and we often expect 21-year-olds to be uh, fairly established at this point. But you have to remember that he has only been playing for Arsenal for, what, two years now? And before that, he made an incredible jump up. So I think if you look at how good he was when he first came, um, and of course, you're, I think we all remember the 8-2 when he got sent off and was completely out of his depth. But... Uh, you know, he hasn't played particularly very well this season. Um, but the way I see it is that he did put in a hell of a lot of good displays last season. The beginning of uh, the last campaign, I was, I couldn't believe how how much of a step up he had made from the eleven twelve season. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, Steve Bolds obviously pulled him aside in the summer and told him how to play. Um, and I remember how excited I was about how good he and G- he and Gibbs were on either side. And obviously, Gibbs has gone on to become. You know, very consistent, whereas Jenkinson's fallen away a little bit. Um, and also, he had that incredible game in the Allianz Arena where he was completely unfazed, and I, I thought he was one of our best players that night. Um, so, I would buy shares in Carl Jenkinson, because I think, if you look at it, it, it wouldn't be very expensive shares at the moment. You know, he's um, his stock is pretty low at the moment, and he, but he's on a very low contract. Well, he's not on a particularly high contract anyway. Um, and what I think about Carl is that you look at he is an incredible athlete. I think he's got the physique to be a superb uh, for, uh, overlapping fullback. I think he's a good crosser of the ball, and I think he, more than anything else, has the desire. No other player in the Arsenal squad will want to make it at Arsenal than him. Yeah. So I'm sure when he puts in a performance like he did the other night, he will listen to everything that Wenger and the coaches are saying to make himself a better player. So I think there's a lot of untapped raw talent in there, and I'm not just saying that because he's, he loves the club and because he's... You know, very quick and is a good cross I'm saying that because he did put in a number of good performances last season that unfortunately have been forgotten I think because you know Sanya came back into the team halfway through last year and played very um, well didn't play particularly well but he, he held down his place um, and I think you also have to remember as well we're playing at such a good level at the moment that it's very difficult for a player especially a young player to come in and suddenly be at the level of of all the rest of the team you know, Mertesacker and Koscielny, for example, play every week in, week out. They know each other so well. They know how they, you know, and Sanya as well will play alongside them and know how it works. Jenkinson has to come in. And even though, it's, you know, you can work together on the training ground, it's not the same as a match. Um, 
So sorry, I've, I've rambled a little bit, but yeah. my my general my general opinion is he doesn't we shouldn't we shouldn't be just he isn't shit. You know, you keep people keep saying he's shit, he's shit. He's never going to be good enough. You know, he wouldn't have been given a long term contract by Wenger if he was never going to be good enough. And okay. For the low for the low wages he's on, I think he's worth a punt. Perhaps the low move would do him well, but he's worth 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 a chance. I think. All right, Callum. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a minute to expand upon my no answer to that question. Sure. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, I'm more of a guy that's looking for proven talent or good, up, good, you know, my investment thesis, I'm, you know, a retail investor is I buy companies that are well-established, good companies going through tough times because then you can get them on sale, quote unquote. So I would be looking for more in, you know, football, footballing world that, you know, a, a veteran player that for whatever reason has fallen out of favor in a club, something like that. That's the kind of player that I'd be looking for. And I see the youth players that aren't established and have never proven themselves to be a little bit too risky. So I'm not saying that I don't see Jenkinson ever being able to establish himself. I just don't want to take that chance. Okay. Now, not I my mean, approach. I'll just clarify my position. Um, you know, I, I, it's good to promote discussion, and everyone's allowed an opinion. Um, you know, with for me, uh, I, I said the same thing with Armando Traore, if you remember him. He never, ever filled me with confidence when he was playing for Arsenal. I never, ever, ever saw him look round his shoulder. I never saw him ever turn his neck and check behind him. He had no awareness, and there was something about the way he'd play the game, the way he'd defend, or I just thought, I can't imagine him making it at the top level. Carl Jenkinson reminds me of that. I just cannot see it happening. You know, I would love uh, to be proved wrong, because I love... Um, players that really care about the club. When Arsenal score a goal and I see Wojciech Chesney celebrate, you know, that fills me with pride. You know, he really cares about the club. And Jenkinson genuinely does. So I'd love to be proved wrong. But it's just my opinion. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good discussion to promote and get people's opinions. I'd but, just like to quickly say, more. I think it's a perfect... As I, I, even though I feel very strongly about it, I think I completely agree that it needs, it's a discussion that needs to be had. The only thing that bothers me is this kind of short-termism view that no yeah. after a few bad games or you know a very glaring mistake nah shit we should just sell him go just get yeah. rid of him if he's not and if you think over a long time I can understand why people perhaps don't think he's ever going to make it and that's fair that's a fair enough a point I just it frustrates me sometimes especially given how well Ramsey's come along I mean last season Giroud and Ramsey were probably our two most maligned players and now they're our two of our best players this season and I don't think Jackson could ever hit those heights but and I think of, there's room for him to improve massive but just improve. Uh, from my point of view I've um, from day one said this about Carl uh, Jenkinson. This isn't a reactionary thing. I've said this when he said good games and I've said it when he said bad games. Matt, that's fair enough. About, I'm not arguing that. Yeah. If you think that's sure, sure, sure. That's fine. Yeah, it's just something about he, the way he plays the game. I just don't see him as a composed um, right back and especially not the Arsenal uh, sort of mould that I expect. Well, um, one thing, but, when you make the Troy comparison as well, I mean, Troy wouldn't want to succeed as Arsenal, you know, even a fiftieth of what uh, Jenkinson would. Jenkinson, I think yeah. his head is in the right place. And also, a lot of young fullbacks, concentration and errors, they're quite common, I think. And if you look at players like Glenn Johnson, who was always seen as younger, as a bit of a, you know, very good going forward, a bit you know, error prone, and now he's become a very accomplished fullback. And that only really happened in his late 20s. So I think, uh, in that position especially, I think there is, I think his biggest problem is a lack of concentration sometimes. And But that is something that can happen to a lot of young players. And I don't think that is... I think that's something that can be um, remedied out of his game. Perhaps he's got a low move, played regularly, and you know. But I, I still think there's a hell of a lot of potential in there, and it shouldn't just be thrown away. 
I, I just think if, you, if you're thinking about young right-backs and who's got potential and who's not and who's not living up to it and that sort of thing and have this discussion, for me, I would take a gamble on someone like Micah Richards. With him, I see enough. Uh, Even though he's not doing well enough for what he should be right now, someone like that, I think, you know, it's worth sticking with him. But unfortunately, I just don't have that opinion with Carl Jenkinson. But all right, we've, uh, we've talked about him, so let's move on. Um, one thing, I, I went to the Arsenal-Dortmund game um, and I don't know if anyone's seen it, did an interview with Robbie of Arsenal Fan TV. And I, I, know, I, I said to him in that interview, I noticed one thing about Giroud today, and that is that he will always challenge a ball. Whether he's going to win it or not, he will always challenge the ball. And anyone that's played football will know, if someone jumps with you, if they get in, their eye, if they get in your eye line, if they put you off a little bit, you're not going to get the same sort of header you would if you're unchallenged and unpressured. When I was watching the game yesterday uh, against Chelsea, I noticed that Bentner just does not do that. And that is what frustrates me about Nicholas Bentner. Um, and it, it comes on to the topic of booing a player. Do you, do you boo your player? Are you allowed to be your player? Is it a fan's right? Is it ever um, beneficial? Um, if, if you see that they're not putting the heart in and, and the effort in, which is what I, which is what I thought of uh, uh, Nicholas. I actually wasn't at the game. I was at TV, so it'd be pointless me booing. But Leo, what do you think on the booing <laughs> issue? Just very quickly. Well, I think that it's important to at least express your displeasure. You know, how you go about doing that is your choice, but I think if you just ignore it and let it go, then they'll never understand that what they're doing is wrong. But, you know, booing, you know, making your voice heard, however, you know, it's up to you as an individual, but I think that when players aren't doing what's expected, they have to be informed of it. Okay, Callum, very briefly, your opinion on booing. Well, my head, my head kind of says, if you're paying the money to get into the ground, you can express yourself in any way, within reason. But I have to admit, when I see... Like, I'll always remember when... Um, I think we'll all remember it. When Emmanuel Aboué was booed off yeah. the pitch a few years ago. And I, even though my head would perhaps say, you, you have a right to do that, my guttural feeling was a real sadness. And at that moment in time, I thought, I don't, I'm not happy with this at all. I don't like players being booed, especially... And whatever we think of Bentner, he's a you know, comedy figure and he says some stupid stuff. But from what I've seen, the last few months, he has really made a real effort to integrate himself back into the squad. And he said the right things. He's still a bit of an idiot. He's got a stupid haircut. But and as I said, I didn't see I didn't see the game. But you know, whilst juxtaposed to Giroud, he, he obviously doesn't run half as much as Giroud does. But then a lot of there's a hell of a lot of of, of strikers in the Premier League that don't run very much. Okay. Um, so as I said, if you, yeah, if you want to go to the ground and boo. So you're within your rights, but my feeling when I see my own, when I see Arsenal players being booed off the field by their own fans, it really, I don't like it at all. Okay. Well, one thing that really gets to me is that you know football fans certainly are fickle, and I think that at times we get you know caught and stuck in a rut and thinking that a player, no matter what, is just not good enough, and we pay too much attention to their flaws and not enough attention to what they do well. And I think that, you know, as an example, Giroud was a perfect case of that last year. Yeah, you know, exactly. He did plenty of things great, but everybody just wrote it off. E- even, oh, even, this, even, this, even this year, he's been yeah. criticized. Uh, even games where he scores or plays well, and it's, oh, Giroud did nothing today. And it, it, it's mind-boggling sometimes. I personally can't uh, understand any criticism of Giroud, even his first season. Um, if you look at the statistics of his first season compared to people like Henri and Drogba and that sort of thing, um, he's not that far behind. And also... 
I think when it comes to booing people, you can have your opinion just how we've had a discussion about Jenkinson, and people had that discussion about Giroud last year, no one ever booed him, but yeah, they're entitled to their opinion, have the discussion. I personally never understood anyone criticising him, because the first year, you have to give people more time than that, and even in his first year, he did alright for us, and that was on a team that wasn't top of the table, you know, it was it was a team that was not exactly free scoring, um, but on, on the well, bench issue... Sorry, I can't on, on remember the... if it was Stoke or Sunderland last year, one of the early games of the season, I remember where Rude missed a pretty good opportunity, and I think that that just kind of got him off on the wrong foot. I think also the fact that we had just lost Van Persie as well, and he right. was very yeah. much within his shadow. So when he was every time he missed a chance, all I ever heard was, oh, Van Persie would have buried that. Exactly. Yeah. He did it two games in a row, very similar chances, missed it, left footed, kind of sliced the ball, didn't get in didn't get his foot around it enough and you know, people started to get a bit annoyed and then he came up with that goal against West Ham. I think it was the header um it was, uh, it was Podolski crossed it and he yeah, put exactly. it in the front post, yeah. Yeah, and you know, and, and from there it kind of went all right for him. But if you look at Dennis Bergkamp, if you look at Thierry Henry, and when I'm mentioning these names, these are legitimate legends of yeah. world football. Look how long they took. I think you need to take a look at yourself. You're going to start booing Giroud or, or, or criticising him after a few games. But anyway, let's put a line under that. Just, sorry, just very, just very quickly, in defence of our fans, I think one thing that Giroud... The fact that we would all, you know, everyone sings, na, 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 Giroud. I think he said that yeah. last season. I think he really loved that. I think even though, I think the fans, even though there was some bad feeling towards him, they did, he really seemed to revel in that. Um, and I think, I just think it's kind of productive to boot players because it's only going to make them play worse next time out. Whereas if you support them, cheer them on, they're going to more likely want to come and play well for you, I think. Yeah, um, but very, very glad you said that because the point I'm going to make now is that with, with Nicholas Bentner, He's quoted as saying, if I have it my way, I will never play for Arsenal again, end quote. He's, Nicholas Bentner has said that. When he came back this year and we, we, you know, we were stuck with him, I think Arsenal fans responded very well. And it was a case of, OK, fine, look, he's back here. He's been away for a while. Let's give him a chance. And they responded well to him. He came up and warmed, he came out and warmed up. People applauded him. And I, I was quite surprised personally because when a player disrespects my club like that, I, I don't really have a lot of uh, love for them anymore. I thought the fans were really, really good to Nicholas Bentner. And I think there's very, very, um, in, in terms of the booing issue, a very fine line where it's allowable to boo and they're not allowable. And I'd say the criteria that needs to be struck where you're allowed to boo a player is when it appears as though he does not give a toss about playing for the shirt. Especially considering everything everything that Nicholas Bentner has been through and how much he's let the club down and the stuff that he's said. He, he went on loan to, to Juventus and instead of asserting himself, he got arrested for driving down a one-way street the wrong way, drunk. You know, that's not what I expect of an Arsenal player who's out on loan to resurrect his career. And making the statements that he made, even Sunderland didn't want him. He, he's got a great opportunity here, and the fans have been good to him. And I really expected him to do something, to, to at least show heart. At least, you know, go in for them challenges and put yourself about. And he didn't. And as far as I'm concerned, that is unacceptable, especially when you're on £52,000 a week. So I think there are very fine lines when you're, out, when you're allowed to boo a player. But I do think that, you know, this isn't a democracy when you go to a football game. You don't have the right to vote. You know, you, you can't put a vote in saying, you know, we'll give you a one out of ten where he, he'll get that feedback. The only feedback that you can give him is vocally. So I think 
to an extent, not every single touch, but I think it was actually the right time. When it was coming off, voice your displeasure and let him know that we expect more. So, that's my take on it. <laughs> okay, I have to disagree with that. I just think, um, I, 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 what, he is, um, he has not covered himself in glory whatsoever in the period leading up to this summer. And I completely agree with all your grievances, especially the drink driving, since that it's just, uh, it's just moronic. Moronic is the only way to describe it. But I think in the summer, we found ourselves in a position where he didn't want to be here, we didn't want him to be here, but through a twist of fate, he ends up having to stay at the club and we need him to be fit and ready to play. Um, I think if he, I think, you know, it's the days of the modern footballer and not every player cares about the shirt in the way we'd love them to, the way the fans do. And I think Arsenal fans have learned that the hard way with, with Fabregas and Nasri and Van Persie. But I said when he, when it became clear that he was going to stay, I said, look, if he only plays well to get himself in the shot window before the World Cup, well, obviously Denmark can't go into the World Cup now, but he's still going to want to move at the end of the season. Um, if he gets his head down, he works hard, shows all the right signs, doesn't complain, then I will be more than happy to welcome him back. Because I think it's... I try, I try not to hold too many grudges, especially against our, our old players. And, and I, I don't just... think he's done that, Callum. I don't even think he's done that. And as, as I've said, there's very, very strict criteria when you're allowed to boo a player. Not during the game for me. Only at times where, at the end of the game or when he's coming off. Because I think it's important to, for him to revisit his expectations um, that the fans have of him. And I, I, he's not living up to my expectations, but he's not even trying, in my opinion. But, OK, we've gone on for that. We've gone on about that for a long time. And, you know, hopefully it will provoke a bit, a bit of discussion. And, um, you know, it can go on forever. So, so let's, let's move on, if sure, that's okay. all right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> OK. Um, so, Callum, talk us through um, the, the um, opinion you've got on the next few weeks and how they can be a defining uh, period for our season. Well, before the um, it was the Dortmund game, I look at our fixture list. Fixture list. I knew that we had a we had a tough fixture list coming coming up, but um, perhaps not quite to the extent as when you actually sift through it. Um, I think since we're obviously losing the Dortmund game and losing the uh, Chelsea game have been disappointing. Um, but if you offered me losses in those two games and wins against Palace and Liverpool, I'd probably take it. Um, I think an interesting point is that we've lost the Capital One, we're out of the Capital One Cup, but for this, this season it doesn't feel like that was one of our only realistic ambitions of silverware. Um, in previous years, you know, when we, we lose to Bradford in the quarterfinals, wherever it was, you think, okay, we're not going to win a trophy this season, or, you know, or almost definitely not. Um, now I think what's important now is how we, re- how, how we react to this. Um, I think the, the reaction against Crystal Palace was good because it was a kind of game you could see the Arsenal of old, you know, it was a banana skin, um, and we we held our own and we got the win. Um, now, if you again, and then the, and in the Champions League, you know, we're still top of the group, so it's not all that bad. Um, for me, it's all it's it's all about the league. And if we come away, I mean, I even, I even some people on the forum are saying if we drew against Liverpool and United, it would be disastrous. But you know, I worked, I think if we if we draw these two games, um, at the very worst, we will be be behind two, two points behind Chelsea in first place and we'll be joint on points with Liverpool this is the very worst um, so I think if we can avoid defeat in both games I mean hopefully we can get a win um, then we're going to be in a really a real good shape for the uh, for the Premier League this season uh, and unfortunately the Dortmund game being sandwiched in between these two huge domestic matches is an absolute pain but 
Well, one thing I have to ask you guys, which was I read, I read this somewhere else, and uh, I think it was on the the Tuesday Club actually, and they said, would you take wins against Liverpool and United if you meant if it meant we lo- we lost to Dortmund? And my to my opinion, well. my opinion would be yes, I would take two wins and six points in the league, and a loss to Dortmund. I would I would be more than happy with that. I listened yeah, to that as well, and I would agree. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. just, I mean, I mean, the Europe, the way my opinion with Europe this season was, you know, I would love us to get through, and it would be a real disappointment if we went out. But if we went out, we would go out to Dortmund and, and, and Napoli, who are two incredible sides, I think. I still think we, we've got a good chance of qualifying, and I'm not writing off at all. And I, I wouldn't be surprised next week if we went to Dortmund and got a point at least. But I think this season, we have such a huge opportunity in the league. Um, and I, I just really want to, I'd be, I'd be absolutely gutted if we don't, we lose to Dortmund next week, but I'd yeah. be, I would be absolutely heartbroken if we lose to Liverpool the weekend. And, uh, God, it's just the omen, just the fact that Suarez is in great form and obviously everything that happened with us and him over the summer and the United game, I've got this horrible feeling, um, about them, this being the game for them. Where they turn it round, and I, I really don't like that at all. But it's right. just because I, I don't like negative Nancy. No, I, I still think there. I still think we'll avoid. <laughs> I still think we'll we'll get at least two points from one of the games, perhaps even a win and a draw, and I'd be over the moon with that. But okay. um, Leo, how about you? What um, the three games: Liverpool, Dortmund, United. What will you be happy with as a minimum? You know, I mean, it's tough to really place numbers and points that you have to have at certain milestones throughout the season. And, you know, I don't really like playing that game. I look at the long, you know, it's a it's a long season. You know, yeah, you want to win these games. You want to get the points off the guys that you're supposedly in direct competition against. But at the end of the day, it's the whole season that matters. And we're in a good spot in the league right now. And we won't, it won't be over regardless of how things play out. Um, I think what's going to be most important out of this period is to see how we handle these tough games back-to-back after coming off of a bit of a rocky spell. You know, because we haven't really had to do that yet this season. We, you know, for the first couple months, we were just kind of firing on all cylinders, just coasting along. You know, now we've had a couple hiccups. You know, we got knocked out of a, you know, a fourth, you know, fourth-tier competition, but... You know, how is that going to affect the psyche of the team? You know, and coming into a game like Liverpool, it's at home, so I would hope for nothing less than a draw out of that game. Uh, Dortmund, I'm not as worried about the result. I just hope, you know, a lot of it will depend on how things go in the other match in the group. Um, I'm just hoping for advancement out of the group more than anything, and I don't think that losing that match would mean that we couldn't still advance. And then going to Old Trafford is always tough. So if we got any kind of results at Old Trafford, I'd be happy. Okay. I do think, um, Callum, the gist of your article is that the next few weeks are crucial, and I definitely agree with that comment. Um, I I do think, though, that our really dangerous period is the Christmas period, where we've got about 12 games in about 34, 35 days. Um, And I've said many times that our, our season, 
in my opinion, depends on luck with injuries. It will all come down to that. So games uh, these days where we've got, you know, one every three days, which is normal, um, I I really, really want a, a good results out of these because the Christmas period, I even think when we're playing um, smaller teams in the Christmas period, we'll find it even harder because we're not getting the rest, we're not getting the recuperation. Even playing the bigger teams now when we can actually, you know, put a half-strength team out against Chelsea and... You know, we had Palace, um, you know, quite a while ago, sort of thing. I think these are games that I still want uh, decent results out of, and any anything less than four points, I'm I'm going to be well. I'm not going to be too happy, to be honest with you. Um, that's out of the the two league games, Liverpool United, um, and with Dortmund, if we. I want a draw. I, you know, I, I not not to say I want a draw, but as a minimum, I want a draw. Um, victory would obviously be tough, but if we play well, then who knows? But I haven't seen the fluency that we displayed against Norwich and in previous games in recent weeks. So, um, you know, I, I think these are really three big games that we can assert ourselves and really convince people of our um, credentials. I have to so, say, Mo, what you're saying. Um, I mean, we can all point to various points in the season and say this is where we. we um, this is the key point. But I think what's key about these fixtures is that, you know, I, I don't agree with this whole thing that we haven't played a big team yet because, I mean, Spurs aren't a big team, but the, the derby was a big game and in, in, a, in a period where we were on the rocks a little bit and we won that. Napoli, uh, in my eyes, an absolutely incredible side and we beat them yeah. comfortably. So that's two, in my eyes, two very big games that we won. Um, and also, I think that what would be important about this was that if we get through this period and we're top of the league perhaps even second but very very close to the top suddenly in, in you know at the end of the month you know in, in, we get into November and suddenly you know Podolsky's on the training field and, and, and Oxlade Chamberlain's back and and Flamini's back and suddenly you think oh, we've actually got and Walcott's back you know there's a you know Podolsky Oxlade Chamberlain and Walcott are three players that would, would make a big difference I think I agree um, so suddenly if we, you know if we, if we can hold our own at the top of the league over the next week or so and suddenly you, you start seeing these players get back in the training ground you're going to think and hopefully, I mean, hopefully we've had our injury spell now and we'll look back at the beginning of the season as being the period that we got through um, with a lot of injuries, not, you know, you know, a sign of things to come that continues throughout the year. So hopefully, if we can stay relatively injury-free with the current fit players, um, you know, Flamini gets back before long, Walcott, Podolsky, who I thought would be back by now, to be honest, but they're still not. Um, and suddenly, I think... The big discussion over the last week or two has been the lack of width, and, and, and Podolski yeah. and Walcott, Walcott especially, would make will make a big difference. So, uh, you know, as you say, the January. I mean, the thing is, the Christmas period is huge for everyone because you have to play such a high number of games in a very small amount of time. But so, easier for Chelsea and Man City with their billions and their squad. Exactly, that, that, that's my exactly. point. But so. Um, yeah, I, I have to say that in terms of injuries in this period with, with these big games coming up, I my personal opinion is that Flamini is a huge, huge miss. I'd be a hell of a lot more confident with him. Uh, as important as the width is, I just I, I feel I feel as though he's become a really, really crucial part in the team, and um, quite nervous about him. Leo, do you think uh, Flamini is uh, a big, big miss, or are you more concerned about the lack of width at present? Um, I've always been a more defensive-minded. Uh, player, coach, everything I mean, comes from playing it, being a keeper, I guess. So for me, it's definitely Flamini. I think it, the influence he's had was beyond anybody's expectations by a long shot. And I think his absence has been very notable. Um, just watching the way that teams seem to be able to assert their will against us a little bit easier when he's not involved, I think it's been very apparent to everybody. 
So I'm I'm most anxious to have him coming back in because we've had, you know, we haven't really had a lack of goals that's been hurting us, you know, over the whole season. It's nice to see, you know, three or four going in and beating teams comfortably, but I think most importantly is keeping the other team from scoring. Fair enough. Uh, Callum, I know you've thought it. I certainly have. But, you know, whenever we talk to Leo, we think this geezer's a bit mental. And uh, we've just found out he's a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense now. Bad yet, exactly. Exactly. Crazy. Um, <laughs> the one point I would make, though, in response to Leo's post is that, well, I mean, I completely agree about Flamini's influence. And I think we're all delighted that we ended up with him instead of uh, Fellaini for 28 million. Um, he still might come good, but still, Flamini's been yeah, incredible. But, you know, I think it is important to remember that. You know, this, this superb run we've been on happened, you know, began in Munich in uh, February, March time. And, 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 and Mikhail Arteta was a big part of that midfield. Sure, so whilst, and also, interestingly, our defence was towards the end of last season was a hell of a lot better than it has been this year. We've only had, what, uh, two or three clean sheets in the league last season. And last, I mean, we had that, we had that, we had that run of games last year where we were being West Brom 1-0 away, Fulham 1-0 away. And our whole, but the reason we got fourth place was because we kept out. We didn't concede very many goals, and obviously well, Mertesacker had a great start. But Arteta was a big part of that. Um, I disagree with you there, Callum. The reason we got fourth place is Tottenham bottle it every <laughs> single bloody year. Well, we we, we 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 got into a nice position, so yeah. when they bottled it, we could just sneak in ahead of exactly. Um, exactly. So um, what I would say also is that Flamini's injury happened to come against Dortmund, who are the best side we've played all season. So, you, you, theoretically, we could have lost that game with Flamini and the team. Um, I'm not trying to negate his influence, but I just think sometimes people... I mean, last season, our midfield pairing was... Well, Arteta was our, our first choice centre midfielder, I think. Um, and actually, I think he played very well against, against Dortmund. So, whilst, whilst I would much rather have Flamini available and fit for these matches, I don't think all hope is lost if we have Arteta in the middle there. Callum, if anyone is like me, when the big matches come up, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm nervous and I'm I'm, I'm a playing, playing out the the thoughts in my head that are, that are making me be negative and trying to find solutions to them. And you know, I know that I would have been thinking before all of these games, oh, we haven't got Flamini, we haven't got Flamini, and you've given me the perfect solution with your great point about the fact that you know, look at look at our record going back from the game against Bayern away, and Flamini wasn't there then. So that is going to keep me. Um, from uh, staying awake at night. Thank you very much. You, you wait till game day, and all that darkness will be gone. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm personally. I'm absolutely petrified for my heart the next week or so because, uh, you know, I, it's just. It's just. It's going to having three games in a row is one thing. You know, just because you normally have a big game and then you have Palace or something. And then, Let's having... be reasonable about this, Callum. Kind of, let's be reasonable about this. Liverpool, is, that's got to be a flash in the pan. They're going to have to start their decline. Hopefully, it will be now. Dortmund, <laughs> fine. Genuine contenders. We'll, we'll see what happens. But we have got a great. Um, we have had a few great uh, games away in Europe. So anything can happen. We'll, we'll just wait and see what happens there. And United. I mean, come on, they're flipping eighth. Well, mate, you're <laughs> making me nervous. I and mean, you're, you're United bashing week in, week out. I feel I like it. you're setting yourself up for a very big fall, my friend. Come and, on, they're uh, eight. It's going to be. I know they're eight, but it's just, it's just fucking Man United, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, I just, I, I don't know. I just have this horrible premonition that it's going to come and. I mean, the form book says we'll go there. Their defense is a shambles. But I mean, fucking Stoke scored twice last yeah. weekend. We'll go there. We'll knock a few past them. I mean, Van Persie will probably score because of, he's a, I don't want to say what he is, but um, it's just the <laughs> way. We I, all know. Uh, yeah, we all know. And Listen, um, so I, I it's, it's just. Think- 
Yeah. I personally think going to Old Trafford, the, the one thing we've got to worry about more than anything is Phil Jones's face. Now, let's draw a line underneath it. <laughs> Leave it there. And it's Halloween now, isn't it? So. <laughs> oh, flipping hell, yeah. Oh, Phil Jones marks out and about. What a great outfit that would have been. Phil Jones's face. And have you seen the have you seen the picture of David Moyes as a schoolboy? No, I haven't. Please do. Oh, my God. On, on, a, on, a very, on a very brief serious note, I think the United game is huge because... I think in previous years we've gone there with with fear and we've played there with we've played within ourselves. But if we can go to Old Trafford and say we're, we're the fucking Arsenal, we're top of the league, and we can win this match, and we play as well as we can do, like we did against Napoli and like we did against Spurs, then we can beat them. My only it's fear is that. To do that, isn't it? Well, it is the time, I and mean, it really is. Uh, or I think I think if we turn up there with any sort of kind of reluctance or fear to play our game then we're, we're, we're going to be caught out but if we go there and play like we've been playing at our best this season I don't think United can handle us so it, it really is I think it's all down to us and how we approach the game how the players view it and how if we can really you know grasp the game by both nuts or you know rather than standing back and, and being nervous so it's, it's it's such a huge game I think yeah we'll you make a good point and I think Liverpool and Dortmund will go some way to to influencing how we end up playing at Old Trafford because if we go there with confidence if we pull a result out of the bag in Dortmund we're going to be absolutely flying and you know Man United via Stoke at present and West Brom so you know fingers crossed but uh, we're, very, quite... we're in a very delicate position I mean I think the reason we've the uh, good feeling is still kind of kept over after the Chelsea and Dortmund losses is because we're still top of the table exactly and if we have a bad result against Liverpool then suddenly I think things will start to pick up in a very yeah. negative fashion. So I really hope that we can get a, a very positive result the weekend. And so if we do important. that, then we can go to. I think if we go to, if we beat Liverpool, then we go to Dortmund and we lose. As gutting as that will be, we'll still we're still top of the league. We're going cool. to Old Trafford, having won, having beaten Liverpool. So it's a, it really is a big week. It, it really is. But listen, hopefully this time next week we'll be, you know, just. On top of the world, Southampton uh, at home as well. After that, and they're no yeah, and they're bloody good as well. They've conceded the least goals in the Premier League, I think, so far this year. Six one last I'm, year, and that ain't gonna happen. I tell you, I'm more scared of Southampton than United. United are bloody eighth. They're eighth. <laughs> I know, but, but, but okay. this is the way it is, though. The fact they're eighth makes me more nervous. Do you know what I mean? If they were top, I'd probably be less nervous. All right, fine. Um, I will share the picture of David Moyes as a schoolboy with you guys on Twitter. Um, and you will find it absolutely hilarious. It is Halloween defined. It won't, it won't keep me up tonight, will it? It will. It, you, you, might have to get, you might have to get in bed with Leo because you're going to be scared. Anyway, so let's, let's move on. Um, Arsenal-Chelsea, there's been a, a bit of a fallout about the um, policing of the fans by the stewards. Um, just in short, the Chelsea fans, 9,000 of them apparently, weren't... Um, bothered at all by the stewards they weren't given any uh, instruction or they weren't policed by them they were free to do what they want antagonise stand up do whatever the hell they like apparently they were throwing bottles they tried to light a flare you know just the usual uh, Chelsea uh, support whilst the Arsenal fans when we were engaging with the away fans trying to have a bit of banter even if we were being antagonistic I wasn't at the game I don't know but uh, even when we were standing up we were apparently policed quite robustly by the stewards you know they, they were very much on the case have you guys heard much about this and what's your opinions I read um, the story very briefly on uh, the Black Scarf movement one of the members wrote a post about it um, and I mean obviously if, if, if what has been said is true it's very disappointing um, obviously you know, we kind of expect that from Chelsea fans but if you know the <clears throat> the home Arsenal fans are being 
policed in such a strong way, you feel like that's coming up from some, you know, somewhere higher up. Um, and obviously, you know, it seems like, you know, there were genuine attempts to just, you know, raise the atmosphere a little bit at the Emirates, which, you know, as we, we all know, can get a little bit, a little bit dry and a little bit down sometimes. So, I mean, you never really know quite how true these stories are, but I read the article, I was thinking, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well, really. And I think we need, I think they need to, I mean, we can make, take the piss out of United for having a, a new singing section and things like that, but I think any, any genuine attempts from the fans to get the atmosphere going a little bit and, you know, give a bit of banter back to the away fans, because, you know, every, every set of away fans is better than the, their own home fans, uh, because they're the hardcore fans that go and want to sing the songs and make a loud noise and stuff, so, um, yeah, I just think it's, just, it's disappointing to hear and, um, you know, I think, I just think any attempts to, you know, within reason to liven the atmosphere up a little bit from time to time should be embraced and not, and not, um, you know, snuffed out in such a, uh, an odd way, really, it seems, yeah. it seems very peculiar. Leah, have you uh, heard about it? What are your thoughts? Well, I hadn't heard about the, the Chelsea fans, but I will say, watching the Dortmund fans or hearing them on TV at times made you wonder if that game was being played in, in England or in Germany. I mean, they were by far more vocal or at least easier heard fan base for large portions of that match. And it makes you wonder, does this maybe play into the reason that we're not quite as good at times at home? You know, just, and why, what is to be gained by stifling the involvement of the fans? I don't, I don't, I just don't understand the, why it's even done. It doesn't make any sense. It, yeah, it seems and, and, to me as though kind of attack is the best form of defence and they're very, very assertive in um, kind of quietening the Arsenal fans who are close to the away support down. They're very concerned about it. Um, many years ago, I was at a game against Portsmouth at, at the Arsenal and I actually was threatened with um, uh, having my membership taken away from me and being ejected out of the stadium because apparently I was intimidating the Portsmouth fans. Now, there was a few thousand of them, and uh, you know I've got a good voice on me, but not that much. And it kind of kind of frustrated me. I I, I understand. I can imagine exactly what uh, must have been going on there yesterday. And um, it just seems as though there's no real in, uh, kind of banter allowed with with the away support. If you if you want to have a bit of a laugh and take the piss out of them and rub it in, it's kind of um, really really policed. And one thing I saw on Twitter that I can't remember who actually mentioned it, but I think it's an absolutely brilliant suggestion, is why on earth don't we stick the away fans in the upper tier somewhere, up by the gods, right. like so many teams in Europe do? What are your thoughts, Leo, on that? Yeah, like, why, yeah, why are we giving them the good seats? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, I understand you want to give them something that they'll actually buy, but at the same time, if they don't, then fine. You know, I'd rather have I'd rather have an empty away fan section up on the top and forego, you know, a little bit of revenue than having them right on the pitch being more involved in the match than our own fans. That doesn't make any sense. How about you, Kevin? I don't understand what's to be gained by putting them there. What do what does Arsenal gain? I mean, maybe it's a bit selfish to look at it from that viewpoint, but if there's no benefit to us, why are we doing it? Callum, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting point. I think when you say, you know, away up at the gods, uh, you, you, all you can think of is in the uh, Camp Nou, because it's such a huge stadium, you always see the away fans right on the edge with the snow on their hands flat like because they're so far up. But, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. You don't want, it seems logical to, to hide, the, hide them away. And 
I mean, I, I don't know. I can't really speak for the you know for away fans coming to the to the ground, but I can't imagine they would say, "Oh, I don't want to go to the game because I'm a bit higher up." I think they're going to want right. to go either way because they're already you know they're making a journey to see the team. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I imagine the logic behind it is think, well, Chelsea fans aren't going to be here for another year. And um, these Arsenal fans are going to be here week in, week out, probably, so we can actually have some control over them. Um, and I just, I mean, it's one thing that people often talk about the, the demographics of the fans changing to, you know, the so-called prawn sandwich brigade. Um, but it's another thing for the club. I mean, if that is why, I mean, if it is the club, maybe it's just the police. I don't know who controls it, but if there is an active effort on the club's behalf to, to stifle out the um, the more active and more boisterous members of the fans I think that's quite it's a, it's a real shame I think it's a real shame that it's happening if, if, if that is if that is what ha- what's happening so yeah um, it's yeah it's a bit worrying to, to hear and see about in terms of um, uh, how much revenue the away fans bring to our club um, I'm not actually sure exactly how it works between the clubs but um, if for example 3,000 fans come to 24 games and pay 45 pound a ticket it's three and a quarter million for us over the course of the season now I would rather have uh, a hostile atmosphere for away teams um, on the lower tier where players will see and hear them. I really, really don't understand. I've never thought about it before until this person mentioned it on Twitter and I wish I could remember their name. But um, I've never, I just don't understand why we allow opposition teams when they score a goal to run to their away fans. Let's, you know, let's make it hostile. You know, let's, I'm not saying let's go to the days where in winter you turn the heating in the dressing room off and in summer you put it on and you know that's why not? Why not? I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, um, what was the it thing? the uh, the Brighton players did? Just shit all over the walls or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just I'm not sure if anyone knows this, but Wenger's idea of uh, of that kind of heating uh, off in winter and on in summer is to make the home dressing room a horseshoe shape. Yeah, no, I've seen luck. that. Yeah. yeah, and so everyone can engage with each other, and uh, the other one a box shaped room. So uh, spend too much time in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, that's it. That's he, had a big, he had a big say in how that was all designed, and he felt, you know, negative energy and all that. I mean, it's all, exactly, all, exactly. all of this shit, really. But, oh, yeah. oh, but, um, but you know, in, in terms of that, I think it's an absolutely brilliant suggestion. And will the club take it seriously? Yes or no? I very much doubt it. They'll they'll probably continue yeah. to do what they want. But I think it's a great idea. Uh, the only other thing I'd say is that upper ticket, upper uh, tier tickets are more expensive than lower tier. Um, would that affect the kind of relationship with away teams or away fans and would there be less uptake even if there is less uptake because of the uplift in price you wouldn't need as many people to come if you're getting be, it would be minimal as well it's not as if yeah. we would take some huge hit and we're a club that exactly but I, I just think it's a win-win if um, if less fans are coming and you're getting the same amount of revenue because of the uplift uplift in the ticket price and the players can't see them or hear them and they're tucked away in the gods it's just a win-win I have to, I have to say though like it's not as if when you're up in the top tier, you can't see the game. I mean, I was down, at, I live near uh, Luton Town, so I was down Kenilworth Road the other, a few weeks ago. And I, in my seat in the middle of the stand, I looked at both goals and thought, well, no matter which goal I look at, I can't see past, there's, there's a pole in the way. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> I paid for this, and I can't see either goal. If you're the Emirates and you're the, top, the you know, high up in the gods, you've still got a great view, you've got a big screen to see any replays on. You know what I mean? It's... It, it's Exactly. It's not, it's not like it's in the olden days where you had a seat that was heavily obstructed. You know, but, you can see it beautifully. You can see it fine. But the one thing you can't do is really make yourself heard and felt. Well, that's what we want, though, isn't it? Exactly. Get away. 
Exactly. So, yeah, you know, that, that I think is a great suggestion, and I will try and find out who, who suggested it, because I, right now I'm taking all the credit for it, so I'll, I'll try and um, give them their dues. Okay, so uh, moving on then. Liverpool. We, we've discussed it uh, already. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we can all agree the major threats, the SAS, but I do think, um, you know, we've got a great defensive pairing at the minute, so I hope they'll be able to deal with it. I'm going to ask you both predictions. Um, so, scoreline, first scorer, and number of shots inside the penalty area from both teams combined. Leo. Okay. Uh, well, it probably won't come as much as a surprise to the people that were, you know, on the forum in the summertime when all the drama with Suarez was going on and everybody, it became fashionable to kind of just write off Liverpool. I always was saying that, you know, I'd, I'd be hesitant to do that because I think that they're going to be a team this year that's threatening to us. Um, I see it being 1-1. I think I'm going to go with Sturridge as the goal scorer. I think we're going to, they're going to come out and really go at us to start the game to try to put us on our heels, and uh, then we'll come back in the second half. And then total shots from inside the box by both teams. Uh, 12. Okay. Uh, Callum? Yeah, I have to agree with Leo about, um, I can see them, them taking the lead. I think they'll come at us, and I would be, uh, completely, I would compl- I, I, I expect Sturridge or Suarez to score. Um, I would expect either Suarez to score or to, to be heavily involved in a Sturridge goal. So I would expect us to go behind. I said 3-3 on the forum with a Suarez opening goal. I'm going to say today, Sturridge to open up the scoring with Suarez being heavily involved. I think we will either, but also one point about Liverpool, I agree that they, I think they probably are title contenders, but they have this tendency to switch off in the second half, which they've gotten away with mostly this season. But So I can see it's going 1-0 down and then turning it around to go 2-1 up, then you bring it back to 2-2 and they'll either stay 2-2 or we'll nick a goal at the end. So I'm going to go for, I'm going to go 3-2 Arsenal. Good man. Sturridge opening goal scorer. And do you want shots inside the box? Yep, number of shots from both teams inside the box. Seven. So there's going to be five goals, seven shots inside the box. Mm-hmm. So there could be a few long-range screamers. Well, there's, there's, good, there's a Jenkinson overhead kick coming from 35 oh. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, that's well outside. I would love it. to see that. Oh, oh God. Yeah. I'll take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I said about him. We'll, okay. have, a, we'll have a special dedicated episode, an apology. Yeah. <laughs> All is <forgiven>. well, <laughs> Okay, um, for me, I, I'm gutted. I'm absolutely gutted that both of you flipping idiots said uh, Liverpool will score first because that's what I was thinking. Not exactly, uh, it's not exactly like cleverest thing to say. This is an Arsenal podcast. And, <laughs> hey, uh, I said we'd win. Yeah, but still. <laughs> you like our comebacks. All right, um, but do you know what? If, if if what you say comes true, it ma- that will feel very good. That will feel very good if we well, make it. a thirty-five year old overhead kick. All right, I I am not going to say what I actually think is going to happen. I'm going to say what uh, what the listeners want to hear and uh, what I want to see. <laughs> so I am going to say first goal scorer, Cosioni. Out there, and. I will say we're going to win 1-0. <laughs> it's not going to be 1-0. I can almost guarantee you it's not going to be 
guarantee you that. <laughs> I, have to, I have to say, though, if you want what the forum members want, you should look at the prediction chat, and nearly all of them have said we're going to lose 2 or 3 nil or something like that. Oh, bloody hell. Exactly. Presentations, I think. <laughs> there, are lot, most, there are a lot of draws in there, too. Number there of shots. Number of shots in the area, I'm going to go for five. And also, I I think uh, Murtasaka will let uh, Suarez out of his pocket um, half an hour after the game. And I think Koscielny <laughs> will let Sturridge out of his pocket an hour after the game. Well, alternatively, <laughs> what celebration will Suarez do when he scores against us? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I do he'll think run Koscielny... over to the Liverpool fans and he'll kiss the badge. <laughs> Absolutely, you can bank on it. Uh, pull well, out a pound coin from his sock and throw it back into the crowd. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I'll tell you anyway, one thing. I think it's become kind of a, the consensus opinion on the show tonight that it's going to be uh, very telling the first fifteen minutes of the match how we uh, settle in if we can weather the storm that we uh, anticipate them coming with. I just what had a horrible s- premonition that not only. Mike Suarez score and, and celebrate and all you can think of was oh if we only we'd signed him but fucking Sturridge if he scores he's going to do that stupid dance oh god and that it's going to be that's I mean, it's, it's bad enough when you're watching him score against someone else and you think oh, that's awful but when he, if he scores if he scores against us and then does it it's going to make me feel sick it was terrible the goal that he scored the chip was absolutely phenomenal oh, it, was, it, was, for that. Yeah, it was incredible but absolutely ruined it with the celebration you know who's going to want to watch that again Absolutely ruined it. So, um, yeah, we, we won't let that happen. You know, we had uh, Thierry Henry dancing on the pitch at Arsenal. He, he knows how to dance. He knows how to move. So we're not going to let Sturridge score and ruin what's a great dance floor. So, um, okay, moving on then. Um, twat of the week. Leo. You know, I, I don't really have any nominations. You know, I know it's going to be harsh if I do. The only guy that I'm, you know thinking poorly of after this weekend in the wall this week was uh, that backheader from Jenkinson. I know we kind of ragged on him a little bit earlier, but when you're under pressure, go away from goal. I don't care how you do it. You know, that's the first thing you learn. Just go away from goal. Better safe than sorry. Okay. And uh, Callum, twat of the week? <laughs> I'm trying to think of anyone, but the call I'll give you some inspiration. I'll go first if you want and give you some inspiration. Uh, I think I know what you're going to say. No, 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 no. You don't. No. And you're both going to kick yourselves when uh, I do say it. My twat of the week, unfortunately, because I like the guy's passion, is Emmanuel Frimpong. What oh, are yeah. you thinking? Yeah. Very, very disappointing. Well, I have to say, actually, speaking of off-field antics, did you see uh, Oxley chamberlain uh, on BT Sport, he was doing that. He was playing. He did Some a FIFA. You know, yeah, with, oh, God, that was awful. Oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> you, you saved yourself <laughs> there. Sorry, Frimpong, yeah, he didn't come yeah. to glory, did he? But Frimpong, um, I, I was so disappointed. You know, I, I actually really like Emmanuel Frimpong. I, I love the fact that he's, he's a bit mental and, you know, he loves getting stuck in for a tackle. He's just that, you know, British, British bulldog mentality. I absolutely love it. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, well, he's got the British Bulldog. bulldog yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, multicultural world now, Callum. Quite Jack Wilshire. And uh, I just, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, he's on Twitter. Someone's, someone's uh, messaged him saying, are you in the squad for the game against Chelsea tonight? Or whenever they asked it, it might have been the day before. And he said, uh, 
something something along the lines of lol makes me want to laugh i wish i was white and english Hashtag i don't understand this real talk when have Arsenal been known for fielding loads of white English players? Exactly. Especially recently. You know I mean? If you were, if you said, I wish I was young, I was 17 year old, had a, you know, a really long injury record, which he does actually, and was French, then that would make more sense. But Exactly. I I'm sure, I, I've never had a conversation about a young white English uh, footballer where we're asking whether it's, he's got a silent G on the front of his name. And there's a guy with a silent G who's broken into the first team this season. So absolutely baseless comments and if you think about what he's insinuating with them comments it's ridiculous it's a ridiculous accusation to be making of Arsene Wenger and that's who you're making it of because he picks the team so I, I was I was livid when I saw that really really disappointed because I, I really like the guy and I, I really want to see him succeed at Arsenal I, I sent him a tweet and you know a lot of people retweeted it favorited it got you know got quite a lot of uh, talk going and the the general gist of what I understand from the supporters is that they really want him to succeed. You know, people really do like the guy and they, they want the best for him, but what is he doing? I, 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 he needs to stop all of that dench rubbish. He needs to get off Twitter, stop wasting his time, and he needs to be the first guy at training and the last one to leave. And, you know, I, I do think he's got what it takes. You know, talking about Jenkinson, do I, would I buy his stocks? No. Frimpong, would I buy his? Yeah, I'd probably have a no, pen. you can't say that. What I would say is that whilst I completely agree with the, the comment, which doesn't make any sense, first of all, but making that kind of comment isn't needed, but I mean, for all we know, he trains incredibly hard. I mean, we, we, we don't really get, we don't see what he's like when Very he's true. actually training. We know that he, you know, I mean, to be honest, you act like a bit of an idiot outside and uh, I've said rather he didn't. But at the same time, it's a bit like, well, as long, as long as you are working hard in training and you really are trying to make an effort, then fair enough. But I, I mean, we don't really know. So I, he does say some stupid stuff but at the same time. I don't think we should come down a bit too hard on him. Um, it's a shame really because he, he kind of had a bit of a breakthrough when, uh, was it 2010-11 when Wilshire yeah. came through and he looked like he was going to be a really good player and, um, he's gone a bit the same way as Coquelin who we ought to get another player we thought would, would become you know a big player well not a big player for us necessarily but you know uh, getting a hell of a lot more chances than he is now but Adam, I think you make a very good point that yeah you know credit credit to you you made the point that we don't know how he trains he might well be the first person there and the last one to leave but I do think that I'd be surprised if he was but you know at the yeah, same time, we exactly don't know. but I do think that you know when when you follow the club and you do all the reading that you know us fans do and and you you've yeah. got good kind of exposure to these players now in the modern day and age um, you you do tend to pick up um, the personalities of people at the club, and like I said last week, if um, Wenger ever ever hangs Arsenal out to dry like Alex Ferguson has with his book, for example, I'll shave my hair off and eat it. And I, I feel confident saying that because you really do get a feel for the people at the club. And it's, I, I feel the same with Frimpong. I can't, I don't really see the indications that he is. You know, we're talking about Jenkinson's desire to succeed. I, I see that. I feel it. I can't put my finger on how I do it, but you felt it as well. And I don't get that from Frimpong. And I'd like to see that shining through. I would yeah, like yeah. to say one thing in his defense, and I'm not going to defend his most recent comment, but is it really that surprising that he, you know, displays some off-field antics when that is a large part of what has endeared him to the fans early in his career? Yeah, I because think he hasn't really had that many opportunities on the pitch. And then, you know, he kind of got a little bit of limelight off of it for his antics, and people loved it and ate it up. So it's not really that surprising that it's continued and, I mean, he's, you know, he's a maybe funny guy. snowballed. He's a funny guy, and the whole, you're going to get Frimpong Dench thing was, was quite funny. I, just, I think it's just because it's because he's 
it's been a while now and he hasn't really moved on and he's doing the same kind of stuff and after two or three years you're a bit like yeah all right mate so nice. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's got a clothing true. label he's got a clothing label who why fair, fair, fair play to him he's a young player he's, he's you know do what you want outside of football we we can all be as boring as Michael Owen but at the same time I like to have my, my players have a bit of personality so fair enough I just think what has he done to be having a clothing label why are people going to wear his name or you know his slogan on their shirts you know get your football sorted first make yourself a hero then do what the hell you like I just think his priorities need fine tuning you know again personal opinion but I, yeah, I just want to see enough. him um, you know, kind of focus a little bit more on what's important. And, um, Leo, your point about his off-field antics, you're right, you know, I, some of the stuff he said about Nazri and all that sort of stuff, uh, a lot of people did like that. But what, what really endeared me to him is just how, um, how he hounded Nazri uh, right. when Matthew yeah. came to us. And that was on the pitch, you know, yeah. right. a night thing. Well, I mean, he's definitely got that going too. Certainly. Not going to discount yeah. his on-the-field effort. What I would say is, when we go away to United, uh, stick him on for five minutes. He's injured. He's injured. Is he? That's why he didn't play in the week, apparently. No, I no. He wanted. I wonder he, who he is. I no, he's he was, not. He oh. expected a call up. He he thought he was going to get called up. All right, just send him. Send him on and just say, go for Van Persie's knee. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> just you know, if if I just want to see him just go two foot into Van Persie, destroy him, <laughs> take the and then take off his shirt. Don't even look at the ref. You know you're, you're going to get, get sent off. With a, you're going to get a Frimpong shirt underneath. Exactly. That's <laughs> read my mind. Ten months ban. You still read my mind. Okay, listen. <laughs> if, if, if that happened, I wouldn't care how the result went. That would just completely erase all memory. You're laughing till May. Going back to the dick of the week. Ryan Shawcross getting booked in the changing room. That's oh, yeah. yeah. But it was against United and it was against Van Persie, so fair play to him. I, I, I'll give him credit for that. Still funny, though. Yeah. What I would say is uh, talk of Carl Jenkinson overhead kick from 35 yards. That gave me a semi. Talk of Frimpong <laughs> munching Van Persie with a t-shirt underneath saying you just... <laughs> you you need to lie down mode, yeah. That's given me a full-on boner. So oh, I think it's time you to it, go. You said it. And one thing I have to say is you say about Frimpong's off-field antics... You know for a fact that Jenkinson, he goes home, he watches his Arsenal Greatest Goals DVD and he gets into bed with his Arsenal duvet with his pictures of, of Henri and Burkamp on the wall and he just feels, he just, he's gutted when he's, when he's made a mistake. Yeah. yeah. None of this, none of this rubbish. He's at home. He's at home probably just swaying back and forth, absolutely gutted about what's happened. So there's parallels anyway. Yeah, so let's all spare a thought for Carl Jenkinson and uh, best of luck to him. You know, I'd I'd love to be wrong about him. I'd love to see him succeed. So I'm not giving up on him. I, I'll never give up on anyone as long as they try. I've given up on Bentner. I'll put that <laughs> out there. You. I have given up on him. He's a scumbag. Oh no! Come on! Uh, he's an idiot. He's an idiot, but he's no, not I, a scumbag. I, genu- I genuinely believe, and I, I'm not saying this to as a figure of speech or to exaggerate, but I genuinely believe if we had two Bentners out on the pitch against Chelsea or one Giroud, I'd pick one Giroud. Yeah, that's because Giroud's awesome. Yeah, how bad is that? How bad is Bentner? You can't call him. You can't call him a. You can't call him. He looks like Jesus. You can't call him a scumbag. Drink dry. He's a what drink driver. What, what if he is Jesus? What if he's come back? And this is a test of our oh, faith. Man, this, this conversation's going sideways <laughs> real fast. Think outside Let's, the box. Let's call it a night. Let's call it a night. Oh, dear okay. Man. Great chat. Great chat. But um, 
big games coming up, so hopefully we'll pull through and uh, we'll get three wins on the board. Are we going to be back for not? We're going to be back after the Dortmund game, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So prior to prior to that game against the mid-table team. Right. So I'm going to go one all. Jenkins. Oh yeah. Left-footed volley. (laughs) Headed down by Benner. And that's against Dortmund, is it? Yeah, right foot against uh, Liverpool, left foot, left foot against Dortmund, and then a flying header against United. It's a good point. I should actually get the predictions in. So, Leo, uh, first scorer and uh, prediction against Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund, nil-nil. Okay, and first scorer? Only joking. Uh, Callum? <laughs> One goal, my yeah, ball. He, he thought about it. He thought about it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with one-one as a serious score. Um, with the first goal scorer being. See, your Koscielny ones kind of maybe think, maybe I should think more outside of Arteta. Nice. Not for the penalty spot, though. Okay. And for me, it's going to be 1-0 in Dortmund to Arsenal, obviously, with Mertesacker in Germany smashing a header in from a corner. So, uh, 1-0 against uh, Liverpool, 1-0 against Dortmund, and we'll score as many as we like against two, them. <laughs> Muppets. Two, so you do two or three clean sheets next week. Obviously, it's <laughs> going to be plain sailing. I mean, look, you know, it's only Suarez, Sturridge, Lewandowski. It's going to be a piece of cake, isn't it? Cake <laughs> walk. Yeah. All right, lads. Been great. Right. Till next time. See you next week. See ya. Bye. You have been listening to the Guna Ramble, a Guna's World podcast. 